Jesus touched them, saying, get up, do not be afraid. Get up, do not be afraid. This is the culmination of the stunning mountaintop moment we just heard from Matthew's gospel that I read. The stunning moment when Peter and James and John witness Jesus' physical being transformed, his face shining like the sun, his clothes dazzling white, way more dazzling than what I'm wearing, and way more dazzling as somebody in Bible study several years ago said, more dazzling than the dazzling of Tide detergent. This is a stunning moment when Moses and Elijah appear. And the most gobsmackingly awesome moment is when they hear God's voice. The voice of God affirming Jesus as God's beloved child and telling the three disciples, listen to him. So get up. Do not be afraid. I'm guessing that very few of us, if any, have had such a dramatic one-time vision of the divine like this. Your clergy certainly hasn't. So instead of getting jealous of the disciples and instead of getting attached to wishing we too could have such a frighteningly awesome firsthand experience of God, how about we look at what this passage has to say what is so important that it's in all of the, the synoptic gospels, also in Luke, also in Mark. How about we look at what the disciples experience of this vision tells us about the nature and impact of Jesus's presence, of God's presence in our lives. So let's look at this aftermath when Jesus touched them, saying, get up, do not be afraid. My brother is an artist who struggles with the chronic brain disease of schizophrenia. And many years ago, he was commissioned by a church to make two relief wood carvings for their healing chapel. They wanted two paces based on healing stories from the Gospels. Each one was to be mounted on either side of the altar and cross in their healing chapel. And they gave John total artistic control to pick what stories, and they also gave him no deadline to complete it, an artist's dream. So he sat down with his spiritual director, and she helped him make a list of all the healing stories in the Gospels from the blind man, the hemorrhaging woman, the paralytic, the leper, Peter's mother, the centurion's servant, and so on. Now my memory is that he studied these and pondered them in consultation with her for at least a year. The first story he chose was the raising of Lazarus from the dead. And I talk about the ultimate healing story, death to life. But to our utter surprise, the other story he chose was what we heard today, the transfiguration. I'd never thought of this stunning moment as having much to do with healing. 
Yet for John, from his perspective as an artist with an unpredictable and to date incurable disease, healing is part of the heart of the transfiguration. This is a different kind of healing than the bodily ones we typically imagine and instinctively think about. John sees the transformative healing power of Jesus himself, of God's brilliant, loving presence among us, beckoning us, beckoning us to get up, to go down the mountain filled with this glory without fear. For God is with us. God's love is with us when we descend into the chaos of our lives and the world. And when we are in its depths of suffering and pain, the suffering and pain around us and our own agonies and struggles. In there, Jesus, that light, that glory, gives us courage, gives us strength, upholds us, and heals us. So yes, Jesus touched them, saying, get up, do not be afraid, Now, touch is how healing happens in many gospel accounts. Jesus lays hands on the leper, lays hands on the eyes of the two blind men, even lays hands on the ear of the slave whose whose ear, or the ear space, uh, whose ear is cut off by a disciple during his arrest. And they're all healed. And not only did Jesus' reaching out to touch people to heal, Jesus' healing power, the Gospels tell us, also was present when people would reach out to him, reach out to touch his cloak. Think about the hemorrhaging woman, that's what she did, or the crowds of suffering people, people bringing their loved ones, people bringing their babies for healing. And here, in this transfiguration account, Jesus touches the disciples. He touches them. Their eyes and ears have just seen and heard the glory of God, the glory of Jesus. Their hearts and minds, their bodies and souls have been cracked open in awe, an awesome fear of that glory. And when God's voice fades, and the dazzling appearance of Jesus dissipates, that glory touches them, comes to be with them in those cracked open, wide open spaces of their hearts, minds, bodies, and souls. In my brother's finished carving of the transfiguration, the disciples are depicted as three little interlocking circles at the base of very intricately carved images or abstracted images of Elijah and Moses and Jesus in the middle. Rising up, they're all rising up into a cloud with a sun in the middle and a circle, a circle so much bigger than the little disciple circles below. And there's this great sense of our smallness, the disciples' smallness below Jesus, but there's also this sense of wide openness because the circles for the disciples don't have any carvings in them. They're simple, they're plain. And that is the same for the giant sun above, 
the circle of the sun, simple, plain. This glorious connection is made between the disciples, between us and God. This is a connection that heals us, inspires us, strengthens us, and invites us to get up. Invites us not to be afraid of the power of this love and not to be afraid of the pain in the world. This powerful connection with Jesus is with us as we head down the mountain with the disciples into our everyday lives. So the revelation and the transfiguration is more than seeing the glory of God on high. It's that God's power in that glory comes to us and is alive in us, transforming us, feeding us, healing us in our everyday lives. And whether we understand it or not, whether we feel it or not, that glory, that grace is there. And whether we're just embarking on our spiritual journey or whether we've been journeying for years through hills and valleys and meandering and getting lost and finding our way, we are touched. We have glimpses of that glory. If the glimpse is just in scripture or the glimpse is in the beauty of this sanctuary and the beauty of the music and the beauty of some moment in your life, those glimpses come into our daily life. So we get this vision and invitation to listen and engage with our lives empowered by this glory and God's love for us right at the end of the church season of Epiphany. Ash Wednesday is this week, and it marks the beginning of Lent, which is the 40 days before Easter. We've had Christmas, we've had the great star in the sky, but now we're closing the time when the church has been bathing in the awe-inspiring revelation of who Jesus is in this world. And we get this ultimate passage of that today. In Lent, starting at the end of this week, we're invited to go down the mountain and wrestle with where Jesus is, where God is in the suffering and struggles of the world around us and our own sufferings and struggles. So Lent is a time when, on a practical level, the church invites us to choose a single spiritual practice. It could be a letting go of a behavior that separates us from God, perhaps a hurtful or destructive personal habit, or it could be taking on a practice to bring us closer to God, maybe praying or meditating regularly, reading scripture to plug classes here, attending classes. Perhaps something that brings the light of Christ into the suffering of the world. Perhaps it's choosing to serve people at some level who are unhoused or impoverished. Or perhaps it's doing, taking on activism around climate change and economic justice. We enter Lent with an invitation to choose just one. Choose one way to engage with that light of Christ, the glory of Christ, 
in us and around us and how that interacts with the world and our world. So we entered Lent with this vision of who Jesus is, the beloved Son of God, and with God's marching orders to listen to him, listen to Jesus. And we enter Lent with Jesus' touch, with the healing power of the knowledge of his presence in every nook and cranny of the chaos and pain in the world. So let's welcome that touch. Let's get up. Let's not be afraid of the love in that touch, and let's not be afraid of what's at the bottom of the mountain. As we can head down that mountain with Jesus, being upheld and empowered by the love of God. Amen.